sexy, sultry southern accent. I want a divorce. They were standing in the hallway of the vast, detached mansion in Belgravia that Calvin had assumed would be his and Dakota's marital home. We've only been married a fortnight, he protested. Well, believe me, darling, it fell like a year, Dakota purred. Why bother with a fucking honeymoon, then? Why not dump me outside the church? Gotta consummate, pussycat. Can't have you claiming I withheld my favors and getting a judge to declare our nuptials null and void. Like a big win on a fairground coin cascade, the pennies in Calvin's head were tumbling down. That was why she had made such a racket in the sack. She'd never made love that noisily when they were courting. Suddenly, however, she seemed to feel the need to let the whole world in on her exertions. Now he knew why. I'm divorcing you, honey, Dakota purred. And I'm filing in the city of angels, which means, of course, I get half. Calvin's mind was reeling. Could she do it? A two-week marriage, for heaven's sake? Half? Surely not. The beautiful, stately, blonde bombshell, as the papers had not been able to resist calling her, turned on her four-inch heels and laid her hand on the door handle. You'll never get half, Calvin shouted, not even in California. Dakota turned back to look at him once more. I will get half, Calvin. I say you demanded unnatural acts and that when I refuse, you beat me. You can't. It'll be your word against mine. Exactly. The word of a sweet, tearful Southern Baptist girl against the word of the most famous bastard in the world. Smug, sneering old Mr. Mean from the biggest show on TV. This is outrageous. It's, it's theft, pure and simple. You're trying to steal from me. Oh, come on, Calvin. You're a thief yourself. Why, everybody knows the chart throb is just X-factor with different judges. Nastier judges. Much nastier judges. You stole it, and now I'm stealing from you. If Dakota had been attempting to make Calvin even angrier, she was certainly succeeding, for this was his sore spot, the one fly in the sweet ointment of his vast fame and wealth. There could, of course, be no doubt that Calvin's show, Chartthrob, the latest in a whole series of wildly successful television talent shows, had been lifted pretty much wholesale from the shows that preceded it, Calvin never denied it, nor that he had cast himself in the Simon Cowell mould as the rude acerbic English judge. Nor did he deny that he had gone out of his way to recreate the elements that made up a successful judging panel. He'd hunted down a mumsy reality TV star with a publicly dysfunctional family. He had found himself a pleasant-faced pop professional who had been looking for television exposure. He had studiously recreated all the elements that had made X Factor such a triumph, and had been so successful in doing so that Chartthrob had eventually eclipsed the original model. Rob me if you like, but I'm not having you insult me like this. The reason my show's the most successful is because I'm the best at doing it. Okay, so you're better than the last guy at being rude. Your mother must be very proud. Yet again, Dakota turned on her heel to leave, but Calvin grabbed her arm. All right, darling, he said. How about this? You want half of everything I've earned? How about I give you the chance to get all of it? Dakota leaned against the front door. I'm listening. 
You say Chartthrob is just a rip-off, that I'm just another rude English guy who got lucky? I say I bring a unique talent to my show. I say it's what I do behind the cameras that matters. I know, Calvin, you never tire of telling me. Well, we're currently doing the preliminary vetting sweep for the new series of Chartthrob. I challenge you to name a ringer. Put up anyone you like and I will ensure that they win the competition. If I succeed, you walk away with nothing. If I lose, you get it all. Dakota looked thoughtful, clearly taken by surprise. I can choose anybody. Well, they have to be British or Irish, and not a paedophile. Even I couldn't swing a Gary Glitter. You risk everything on this, Calvin? I'm risking nothing. I know I can win. I'll give you a day to nominate your ringer. Well, okay then. I accept your bet. And I don't need a day to choose either. I've already decided. What do you mean the pig won't shit? The pig won't shit, Beryl. What can I tell you? Beryl Blenheim had been hanging around for hours, standing uncomfortably in a pair of gold stilettos and a Stella McCartney evening gown. Beside her, on an antique coffee table, lay a pair of marigold rubber gloves and some spray-and-wipe disinfectant. The bucket of hot water had gone cold and been replenished any number of times. The afternoon was disappearing. Already Beryl had been forced to cancel a consultation with her plastic surgeon, who was a very busy man and had many bottoms beside hers to lift, and therefore would have difficulty fitting her bottom in again that week. Yet still the pig would not shit. Give her something to make her shit. We did. It didn't. I have a life, Arnold. And I have a crew, and if this pig takes much longer to take a dump, we'll be running into some serious overtime here. The crew in question were attempting to shoot a scene for the final episode of the current season of The Blenheims, a reality television show featuring the real-life trials and tribulations of a dysfunctional show business family. One of the most popular themes of the show had proved to be the ubiquitous incontinence of the family's numerous pet pigs. And when storyboarding the closing episode, everybody had agreed that pig shit must provide the principal source of humour. It had all sounded so good at the pitching meeting. So Beryl is all dressed up to go with Serenity to the Recoverer's Ball, right? Arnold explained. But the new pig keeps taking a crap, so poor Beryl has to keep getting down on her hands and knees in a jewellery and evening gown to clear it up. And when she finally gets into the car to go to the ball, she still has her marigolds on. And Serenity says, Oh my God, Beryl, people will think we've come to clean the toilets. Although it'll sound so much funnier when she says it. Do you think Serenity can remember that many words? Beryl had inquired. Arnold assured her that it was actually funnier when she didn't. And so the shoot had been planned accordingly. Though not for the day of the recoverer's ball. Obviously, if Beryl Blenheim did clean her own house, which she didn't, she wouldn't do it on the day when all of L.A.'s premier casualties gathered together to celebrate their collective triumph over the self-inflicted wounds with which decades of gargantuan personal indulgence had marked them. Beryl Blenheim, ex-druggie, ex-alky, ex-food addict, ex-sex addict, ex-rock star, and, most famously of all, ex-man, was after all the poster transsexual for the whole grand affair. Unfortunately, the pig had refused to cooperate. Look, I don't have time for this, Beryl finally snapped. You'll have to use stock footage, then shoot me cleaning up some chocolate pudding separately. Arnold was dubious. The whole point of you being here in your party gown, Beryl, 
is to tie you to the turd. If we have to shoot you and the turd separately, we really don't have a story at all. The audience is just too media savvy these days. I knew when we started this we should have gone with the shitting dogs like the fucking Osbournes did. Please, Beryl, as if. The whole pig thing has so given you the edge. They're much more rock and roll and their DNA is really close to humans, which helps you with the mum thing. I don't need help with the mum thing. I'm a fantastic mother. I've won awards. Beryl Blenheim was extremely sensitive on this issue. No matter how hard she worked to establish herself as an iconic matriarchal figure and truly modern mum, she would forever be handicapped by the fact that she had, for most of her life, been a man. Her offspring were not hers by blood, but serenities by a previous marriage. When Beryl had met her, his wife, Serenity had been married to the owner of a chain of fried chicken franchises in Missouri, which Blaster Blenheim, as was, would patronise when swinging through the heartlands on his 70s rock revival tours. Blaster's heart had been won by Serenity's space-hopper-sized false breasts, and Serenity, for her part, had been wooed by Blaster's English accent. Blaster and Serenity were married at the Love Me Tender Chapel in Las Vegas, and in the years before his sex change, Blaster had been a loving, if drunken, stepfather to Serenity's twin girls, whom they had renamed Priscilla and Lisa Marie. Serenity had naturally been surprised when Blaster, in an effort to revive interest in his flagging career, had announced he adored Fanny so much that he wanted one of his own. But being an amiable sort and completely fucked up on drugs and fried food, she had gone along with a new arrangement. Priscilla and Lisa Marie had suddenly found themselves with two mothers, a situation which they were forced to deal with very publicly after burial.